Good morning. It's very nice to see all of you here when it is so nice out and you could be anywhere else in the world. So we're very glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about who I am. If you don't know me, my name is Caleb, and I am the director of student ministries here at Journey, which means that my job is to be a teenager. I simply get to hang out with middle school students and high school students all the time. And I love how they think. I love how they express themselves to each other. I love just everything about them. And so that's my job. That's what I get to do. And I absolutely love it. And so why we don't simply call the position youth pastor, I'll never know. But we can ask Brian someday. And so what, I was, what I've been thinking about lately and where I am is in my job and what I do and how students see me, I've been wondering to myself, do students see Jesus in me? And when I'm out and when I'm speaking with them and when I'm hanging out with them and when we're sitting down and we're studying the Bible together, is the way that I live and is the way that I do things, is it representing Jesus to them? And so what I want to do with you today is I want to share with you kind of my story and where I'm at and how I'm thinking about who I am and how I'm working with students and what my job is. And so I want to start out by painting a little bit of a mental picture for everybody here today. I really like to do this. I've done this with you in the past. And so we need to think about a five-year-old boy. Get that in your brain, whatever that looks like in your world. And we need to think about this in the context of this boy entering a store like Toys R Us. Got that? Toys R Us. Uh, Now, I grew up in Billings, so that's the toy store that I went to. And in my opinion, there's two types of little boys that enter into these kind of stores. The first boy is the type A personality, ADD, bounce off the wall, everything type boy. And you know this kind of kid that when you say, hey, we're going to Toys R Us, from the moment that they get into the car, the energy level is like 250%. And they walk into the store and they are running through and they are pulling things off the shelves. It doesn't matter how many size D batteries it takes. And they're putting it in the basket before you can take it out of the basket. And they are everywhere doing everything, pointing at things, looking at things. And you can't hardly keep them under control. That was me when I was a little kid. Do we have anybody who was there? Yeah, some of you. We could have a little party at the end if you wanted. Boy number two is a little different. Boy number two is the kind of boy that when you get to the store, they already have in their brain what it is that they want. They know exactly where it is in the store. They know what shelf it's on. They know how many aisles it is. They know how much it costs. And when they get to that object, whatever it is, they simply just stand there. And they feel like life has stopped because they are captivated by whatever it is that is on that shelf. And they are in awe, and the world has just slowed. And everything for them is about this one object, this one item that is sitting on the shelf. I paint for you that picture because my relationship with Jesus right now is like boy number two. I feel like I have walked into the throne room of God, and I am looking up on the shelves at everything that he has, and I am captivated. I am in awe about who God is and what he has for me and for us and for our community. And let me just tell you, it is an amazing place to stand. And I hope that everybody in this room can someday be standing in a place like that to where you are in awe and you are simply captivated by who God is. But one thing that I've been thinking about is I don't want to just simply stand there. Because if you've ever watched a little boy come out of a toy store, have you looked at the smiles on their face? 
they are so excited about where they just were, about what they got to experience, and hours later and sometimes days later when they talk to friends and family members and they got to say, I got this, or I got to be a part of this, or when you see them carrying that like 20-pound teddy bear out of the store that is plastering them to the floor, and you ask if you can help, and they say, no, I got it. What if that is how we share Jesus with our community? What if we were so engulfed by who God is that everywhere we went, that people saw it in us? That it's what we thought about, it's what we talked about, it's how we live, and we couldn't help to reflect the cross to our community. And so that's the question that I want us to ask and that I want us to think about today is what are we reflecting? Because it's been how I've been living and it's been me thinking about how am I reflecting Jesus to our teens and then on a bigger picture is how are our teens reflecting Jesus to the communities that they live inside? And so would you take a moment to pray with me as we seek God? Lord Jesus, I am humbled to be here. I am humbled to be called your child and your servant. And so, God, right now, we invite you to come and meet us in this place. And I invite you, and we invite you to come and speak to us and to challenge us with everything that you have for us. God, and that then we would respond and that we would really be thinking about what does it mean to reflect you to the world? God, we ask all of these things in the name of your son, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. If you were here about a month and a half ago, I had the opportunity to share with you a little bit about the life of Paul and Barnabas. And we were talking about Paul and Barnabas, about how they were seeing people. And we had talked about how God had uh, expanded their grid of who could know Jesus. And we said that God had abolished the art of circumcision and that no longer was the Israelite people the only people who could know God's community. And so that was the foundation of everything that we were looking at. And I want us to continue the story of Paul and Barnabas today and look at where they're going and what they're doing and how they're living in their world. And so if you have a text with you today, I'd invite you to open to Acts 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the side screen. And we're going to pick up the story and look at the life of Paul and Barnabas as we continue today. This is what it says in verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And so the very first thing that we notice as we read this text is that Paul and Barnabas have a stated mission. They have a stated mission on where they want to go and who they want to see and what their lives are about. And the text tells us that they went to see the brothers. And so we need to understand what this term brothers is. What is this about? Are we going down to the hood or where are we going with all of this, right? And so when we read this word, the word in Greek is the word adolphos. And it has a couple different meanings. The first thing that we need to know is that this word adolphos means faith. They're going to see people of the same faith. To do what? To encourage them to see how they're doing. They're going to challenge the people who know Jesus. I want us to stop for a minute. I think everybody in here probably knows somebody who follows Jesus. That's why we're here. When was the last time you sat down over a cup of coffee or in your living room or on the side of your sports field, wherever that is, and said, hey, how are you doing? 
How's your relationship with God going? Are there questions that you have? How can I pray for you? How can I help you? I think if we did that as Christ followers, we would know Jesus so much better. Paul and Barnabas say, this is a part of our mission, to be in community with each other. The next thing that we notice about this word Adolphos is that it is gender inclusive. It is not just for the men. You see, in the culture that Paul and Barnabas lived inside of, women so often were neglected. They were not seen as on the same level as men. They had no rights. They had no privileges. They often lived in prostitution or in slavery. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, look, gals, you're just as important as the guys are. And this is revolutionary for their day because women weren't allowed to worship in the temple. Women weren't allowed to even know God in many religions. And so here Paul and Barnabas are, and they're saying part of our mission is, yes, we're going to go see people of faith, but that includes the women. The next thing that we notice is that this term, Adolphos, means neighbor. And this is not like the neighbor that you and I have that lives right next door to us, right? But this is actually talking about neighbors on the level of countries, They're saying, hey, we are going to leave Israel and we are going to go to the countries who neighbor us, who are outside of God's traditional kingdom. You see, for so long, we had talked about this about a month and a half ago, that only the Israelite people could know who God was. And Paul and Barnabas are saying, as part of our mission, we're going to leave what we know and we're going to leave what has been a part of our culture for centuries and we're going to go out to the people next door to us. And if you read your scripture... This goes all the way to Rome and back, thousands of miles. That's part of their mission. And the fourth and final thing that we see that this word means is it's then about countrymen. And this is important because not only are they going to other countries, but they are actually going to people who are not Israelites. They're going to people who are different races, who have lived in different religions, who come from different ethnic backgrounds. Really what Paul and Barnabas are doing is they're going to see all of the people that Israelites have rejected for thousands of years. It reminds me of a church in Denver called Scum of the Earth Church. And it's a pretty amazing church because they're an urban church downtown Denver, and their goal and their mission is to reach out to people who are drug addicts, who have lived on the street, who are addicted to alcohol, who have lived all kinds of crazy lives, the people that we simply call rejects of society. That's who they minister to. And it's interesting for me to think about that if every church had a mission, that if every church, that if every person had a mission on who we wanted to go to and who we wanted to share with, that the gospel would reach out so much more than it does right now. Because we do this thing inside of Christianity and church culture to where we say, hey, everybody needs Jesus, but we never put a name to the idea. Paul and Barnabas are saying, hey, look, this is very important that we have a mission, and we're going to take time next week to talk about that. But what I want us to do this week is to continue on in the story of Paul and Barnabas. And so I want us to think about for a moment, what is it that Paul and Barnabas would have wanted to take these people? If these people are lost and if these people haven't known God, then the most vital thing that Paul and Barnabas would have wanted to take is the cross. 
Very simple. Paul and Barnabas are wanting to reach out to these people and go to these people and reflect something to these people that they have never seen and that they have never known. And when we read the Bible, I think there's four primary aspects that we are supposed to be taking and that Paul and Barnabas would have been very aware of. And the first thing is love. And you'll notice on your notes page that there is no scripture reference under love. And the reason that is is because if you grab your Bible and you read it from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 22, that is what the Bible is about. It is about God's love. And not only that God has love, or not only that God gives love, or not only that God extends love, but God himself is love. And the reason that this would be the very first thing that Paul and Barnabas want to take out and want to give to people is because these people have lived in war, they have lived in genocide, they have lived in infant sacrifice, in a place that so often does not have any love whatsoever inside of it. That's the very first thing that they would have wanted them to be taking to people. The second thing I believe they would have wanted to take to people is this thing called hope. I have a question. Anybody here ever have a bad day? Right? I see hands up. We have bad days. All of us have bad days where things don't go right and things don't go well. Bad things happen to us. And we get down. And just like us, these people, they would have bad days and they would get down. And so when I have a bad day, if, if I'm really seeking God, I take my Bible and I turn to Colossians. I'd invite you to turn over there real quick. And I read this verse because it changes my perspective on what my day is about. And in Colossians 1.27, it says this. It says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, ironically, the very same people that Paul and Barnabas are going to, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, Paul says, when we know Jesus, when we seek Jesus, he gives us hope that is something that is rich, something that is powerful, something that fills us, that gives us purpose and meaning. Paul and Barnabas would have wanted it to take it to these people who oftentimes did not have any of that. And then because of God's low love and God's hope, the essence of the gospel then is salvation. And they would have wanted to take that and they would have wanted to show these people that there is a better way to follow. That Jesus is the Savior of the world. That Jesus came to die on a cross and to rise us up as a community and as a people. And that someday that we will get to live eternally in the presence of God. And the fourth and final thing then that I believe that Paul and Barnabas would have wanted to take that we need to understand is that that they are now redeemed people. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we start following Jesus, God tells us that no longer are we just simply wandering around, but we actually have a purpose for life. How many of you have ever asked that question, what is my life about? I've asked it. And I bet if you're honest, we've probably all asked it. See, and God tells us when we seek him, when we give our lives to him, when we start expressing and feeling his love, and we, when we start realizing that he has hope for us, and when we seek him and he gives us salvation, he then gives us purpose, and he says, this is what your life is about, is about following me. 
for me, that's pretty mind-boggling. That's one of the reasons that right now I feel like my life is just standing in the throne room of God looking at everything on his shelf is because I'm contemplating these four things. And they are ripping my life apart and they are reorganizing it and putting it back together to where I feel like every day I get up and I am the most blessed person in the entire world. I want us to continue our story though with Paul and Barnabas because this is what they would have wanted to take. But there's a flip side to this. Verse 37, this is what it says. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued in the work with them. And so we see at this point that Paul and Barnabas are going to be facing an obstacle. And I can't spell. They're going to be facing an obstacle. How many of you ever have an obstacle in here? Yeah, we get obstacles all the time. And we see that the obstacle that they are facing is their preference and their opinion on who is supposed to go. And Barnabas says, hey, Paul, we're supposed to be taking this guy, John Mark, with us. And yes, I know that he's deserted us before, but there's something inside of him that I see that I think he needs to come. And Paul says, no, we need to take Silas with us. And so we're at this point where we have this obstacle and we have a decision that needs to be made among these two guys. And so at this point, they can either choose to make a righteous decision that will continue their mission of taking love and hope and salvation and redemption to the people around them, or they can make an unrighteous decision that could possibly and potentially destroy their ministry. It's an option. I believe we all have that same option as we focus and we deal with all of our obstacles that we have. And so as I read this text, I believe that Paul and Barnabas actually make the best decision that they could. But let's keep reading and see. It says, verse 39, they had a sharp disagreement. I want us to note real quick that this says disagreement, not fight. It's very important for us to notice. We can have disagreements with people without becoming angry and without becoming bitter. Disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicily, strengthening the churches. Now here's the question. Why do I think that this is the best choice? And here's the deal. How many of you know type A personality people who always have to make the decision? <laughs> you laugh. That means you're one. I'm a type A personality person. Okay? And do you know what happens when you take two type A personality people who always have to make the decision and you try to let them steer the same boat? Pirates blow it up. That's the way it works. People who have type A personality who are trying to seek God and really focus on God and when God puts something in their heart, they can't let it go. Because they are saying, this is what we need to do. They are passionate about it, and they will go to their grave until it happens. And so Paul and Barnabas, we see in the scriptures that they are both type A, personality, get-it-done people. And so they know that if, if they stick together, if they keep going on their mission because of what their heart is, because of what their gut feeling is, their ministry will crumble. And so they say, hey, because we want to keep the cross central, 
because that is the most important thing in our mission is letting Jesus shine that we are going to separate. And so often scholars look at this passage and they say, well, who is right and who is wrong? And who is sinning and who isn't sinning? What if this passage is not about any of that? What if this passage is simply about them following the passions that Jesus has given them? And saying, all right, I respect you and I respect your thoughts and your opinions and would you do the same for me and respect my thoughts and my opinions? And so then we look at this scripture and we say, well, what happens? They separate. Are they a good thing? Is it a bad thing? And we look at the scriptures and we know that Paul and Silas, that their ministry is blessed because it says that they were commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and that they strengthened the churches. We see that. We know that what they're doing is good and what they're doing is righteous, but what about Barnabas? What about John Mark? And if we read the rest of Acts, we don't see anything about them. But we know two things. We know in the Gospels that John Mark becomes one of the greatest evangelists of all time. And the Gospel writers talk about him. They talk about how he is respected and he is a man of God and he is somebody who has pushed the church forward. That would lead us to believe that maybe their ministry was a little bit blessed. And then it's interesting that if we look at the end of Paul's life when he is in prison, guess who he calls for? John Mark. He says, because I have need for him. So that would give us maybe a little bit of an idea too that Barnabas and John Mark, that their ministry is blessed, that what they're doing is not sinful, but it's actually following Jesus. And that's because they chose to make a great decision by putting the cross first. What I want us to look at is what happens when we don't put the cross first. What happens when we let our obstacles overtake who we are? And what happens when our obstacles overpower the cross? And so I want us to look at a couple things. The first thing is, is that in our preferences and our opinions, if we don't deal with those, those lead to tension. We saw the tension with Paul and Barnabas. That's where we know that it is. It says, a sharp disagreement. But at this point, they choose to deal with it. But if we don't deal with our preferences and opinions, how many of you have bosses that you sometimes don't agree with? Right? Or you're the boss and you have employees that you don't agree with. Right? It goes both ways. If we don't deal with those in a healthy way, there's only one place that that can lead to, and that is a place of anger. Because we get upset and we get bitter and we get mad at the people around us And it's ironic to know that anger happens to be the exact opposite of the love that God gives. And so then when we go out in the world and we are telling people about Jesus or we say, hey, I go to church or hey, I'm a Christ follower. And then these people who don't know God and they say, yeah, but you're an angry person. Why would they want to follow Jesus when all they see inside of us is an angry person? I've been an angry person before. And let me tell you what, it's not a fun place to be. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've got some kind of anger or some kind of bitterness inside of you that is not reflecting what it is that Jesus would want you to reflect. I want to look at a couple more obstacles that I think are huge in our culture. The next one is broken relationships. Now I know that every person in this room, no matter how old or how young you are, you have been hurt by somebody at some point in your life, 
And you've probably been hurt more than once. You see, in sometimes broken relationships, they could be about divorce, or they could be about separation, but there's so much more than that. Sometimes broken relationships happen amongst friends. Maybe a friend shares something about you or tells something about you or gossips about you. And you feel like trust has been broken. And you feel like that person has betrayed you. Maybe it's because you've broken up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's because somebody at work snickers about you or talks about you behind your back. Maybe it's because you've had an unexpected loss in your family that has just ripped your life apart. For those of you who know me, two and a half years ago, I had a 17-year-old sister who committed suicide. And let me tell you what, that left a broken relationship. And it just leaves you in this place where you feel like you are dead. And if we don't deal with whatever broken relationships we have in our lives, if we don't work on restoration, if we don't work on getting through those and giving those back to Jesus, that leads us to one place. And that is a place of despair. It leaves us hopeless. Because we feel like on the inside that there is nobody and that there is nothing that cares about our well-being. That cares about who we are. That cares about how we live and how we interact with the world. And so often then we live in those places and we do the very question that all of us have done before. Why God? And so often, it's not about why God, but rather it's about why me. Because God is always there, it's simply that we're not coming to him. The next thing that I want us to look at that I think is so often a very large obstacle in our world is lust. And I want us to think about this in a little bit different context than what everybody just thought. (laughs) It could be what you just thought. It could be about sex. But I just finished a book by a guy named Rob Bell, his new book, and it's called Sex God. Kind of a strange title. That's what it's called. And the book talks about how God has created us to be sexual beings. But in the book, he gives an entire chapter to lust. And for the first three quarters of the chapter, he does not talk a single word about sex or pornography. But rather, he talks about how lust is what we are trying to put inside of us to fill us up about what we are trying to get to make us feel like we are whole, to make us feel like we are filled to the top. And so often lust is then not about sex, but it's about money, or it's about power, or it's about status. And he goes through and he talks about all those things, and then towards the end of that chapter he says, and sometimes lust is about sex. You see, it's about us trying to get what we think will fill us up and what will make us whole. And it's interesting to note, if we think that that is what will fill us up, that only leads to death. It's not a coincidence that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that the only way to the Father is through me. Jesus is saying these things that we lust after, that we want, that we desire, that we think will fill us, they will not get you there. They will leave you dead. And I think a fourth obstacle that is huge in our culture and our society is that of doubt. 
is that of doubt. See, we get into these situations where maybe we think God is calling us to do something, to act, to maybe talk to one of our friends or a family member or a coworker about who God is or who Jesus is, or maybe we feel like God is calling us to make a healthy decision about how we live, about how we interact with the world, and we say things to God like, I'm not good enough, or I don't know you enough, or I'm just a new Christian, or I don't know enough about the Bible, or I have too many faults, or I've sinned too much. Let me tell you what, there is no perfect person in this world. I was down at Leadership Summit in Billings uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago, and on the sanctuary of one of the churches from one of the speakers was this sign. And it says, no perfect people allowed. Right? None of us in this room are perfect. Not me, not John, not Brian, not any of our pastors. We are not perfect. And if we don't realize that, and if we don't start working through some of the things that we might doubt about, that we might question, then it leads us to one place, to where we simply wander and we then become one of the greatest tools of Satan because if we live in that world where we as Christ followers are just wandering around and we're not putting our faith and our trust in God then we have no impact for his kingdom and it's interesting that we would then have no impact for his kingdom because what are the two greatest commandments love God and love other people if that's one of our missions, if we're just wandering that, we're not fulfilling. Now, I don't know what your obstacles are, but let me share with you a few of mine because I have lots of obstacles. I just graduated college. Fabulous thing. I'm very excited. But here's the deal. Where am I at next year? Right? That is an honest question for me. What am I doing next year? And then what am I doing in three years and five years and ten years and fifty years? Right? I'm starting out on the career path. Right? That's a big thing for me. I'm trying to figure out what that looks like. I'm trying to figure out, am I financially sound? Do I have insurance? Do I have medical coverage? What happens to me? Right? There's all of that. Now, here's the big question that I've been getting asked a lot. I bet this happens a couple times a week for probably the last three months in some form or another. It's a great question. It's a scary question. Hey, Caleb, when are you going to plant a church? I don't know. Could you talk to God about that one for me? Right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to plant a church. There's a lot of things about it that is really exciting. But then there's a lot of things about it that's really scary that are kind of up in the air, and I just want to say no to that. That's a huge obstacle for me. How about this one? I'm 23 and I'm single, right? I'm 23 and I'm single. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think about it a lot, and I say, hey, God, do you have a spouse for me? And if you do, what's her name, <laughs> right? And, and what does she look like, and where does she come from, and does she go to school, or doesn't she go to school, and does she like to do ministry? Does she love you? Does she like to be outside? And if you're interested in that, you can give an application to Michelle. <laughs> Sorry about that. But for me, those are all very huge things that I am thinking about. And what I am learning And what I am realizing is that if I let those things overtake 
all of my thought process and how I live and how I interact, then when people see me, they will just see me as somebody who lives in the world of worry and lives in the world of doubt. Because I will become a person who is so consumed with what am I doing and where am I going and how am I living and am I going to get married and am I going to plant a church that no longer will I be focused on love and hope and salvation and redemption. You'll notice on the bottom of your note sheet that there's a couple blanks. And because I don't want anybody to leave here today not knowing what your obstacles are, the band's going to share a song with us called The Words That You Say. And it's talking about how we all long to hear from Jesus, Jesus and to hear from God. And I would invite you during that time to take some time of reflection to seek God and say, Lord, are there any possible obstacles in my life? And after we do that, I'll come back up. Soon. Mm-hmm. 
tomorrow comes to follow when this song is gone. So I await the words that you say. I open my life. I'm longing just to hear these words that you say, that you say. So I await the words that you say. I open my life. I am longing just to hear these words that you say, that you say. Can I be an instrument of praise and here pursue your heart so my life will tell absolutely positive that every person in this room wants to hear from God and that every person in this room wants to hear God speak to them and hear God infuse truth into your life. And so I want us to notice one more thing about this passage with Paul and Barnabas and that's this. Inside of this obstacle, inside of where they have this option to follow Jesus or not, it would have been so easy for them to give up on the people around them and say, you know what, I am done with this. I am tired of the fact that we have obstacles and that we have things that we run into and I'm going to do it on my own and live my life my own way. But they don't do that. And the reason they don't do that is because Paul and Barnabas know that if they try to do life on their own, they will fall apart. And it's no mistake that when Jesus sends the disciples out, he never sends a disciple out on his own. It is always two by two or more. And so what I want to ask you today, is there anybody in your life that you have that you can sit down and talk with? Are you involved in a small group? Or do you have an accountability partner? Or do you have a mentor? that you can share your life with, and I bet there's a lot of people in here who already do, then I have a question for you. Are you being honest with them? Are you actually telling them what's going on, or are you just giving them enough to think that you actually are? Are you just sharing enough to where they think, yeah, this person is pushing in, but deep down inside, there is stuff that you are not sharing because you think you can do it on your own. Let me tell you what, you can't. No matter how much you think you can, you can't. And I have learned that the hard way. I have kept stuff wrapped up inside of my life for years that I thought I could get through and it only gets worse and worse and worse. And so if you already have a small group, I would just challenge you to be honest. And if you don't have a group that you can get involved with, then when you leave here today, 
I'd invite you to do a couple things. Find somebody in your life that you can talk to. Maybe it's a friend or a family member. Maybe you don't know who that person is. Then when you leave here, stop at the info table and look at all the sheets with the possible small groups. Or stop in Guest Central on your way out and talk to a pastor or mark on a comment card. Hey, I have some questions that I want to talk to somebody about and we would love to sit down with you. Because it does not matter how old you are. It does not matter how young you are, whether you are married or single or separated or divorced or if you're in college or if you're in middle school or high school. We all need people to come around us. And so because my life and my mission is to reach out and lead high school students, high school students, I want to talk to you for just a minute. I know that the obstacles that you're dealing with are like a hundred times this list. I know that what you're dealing with is way more than what we talked about today. And you have peer pressure and you have academics and sports and parents, sometimes two or three or four or five parents. And what you're dealing with is huge. And so no matter where you are in your life, I want to challenge you to get involved with a small group with Journey. And when you leave here today, there's a table right out on the other side of the bathrooms that says Journey Student Ministries to where you can sign up to in a small group with other peers your age led by a couple leaders who want to sit down and want to dig through life with you and want to help you through your obstacles and want to help you shine when you go back into your school systems. And this week I was sitting down over a cup of coffee with a student and we were talking about what would it look like if every student from Journey would get involved, if we would actually start doing community together and living together. And he told me, he said, Caleb, if every student from Journey got involved in a small group and we started being honest with each other and we started doing life together and we started saying, hey, this is what I'm dealing with and this is what I'm thinking about. He said, then we would become an infectious disease for Jesus inside of our schools. And when he said that, I about started to cry because I thought about the 5,000 students in our valley And then I thought about that only like 10% of them follow Jesus. And when I heard that from a student who said, we can change the world, that broke my heart. And so students, I challenge you with everything inside of me to get involved. Because when you do, no longer do you have to live in the world where obstacles overtake everything. But you get to live in the world where God gives you love and hope and redemption and salvation and then you get to shine inside of your world. And so I'm going to challenge you, whether you want to be in a group or not, whether you think getting in a small group is good for you, to give it a shot for six weeks. Because I believe that after six weeks, it will be one of the most vital things in your life. You can sign up today when you leave. For the rest of us as we close here today, I know that the reality is is that all of us want to live in God's light. And we ourselves, we want to live in God's love and hope and salvation and redemption. But I also know that for so many people here, you feel like you're living in the dark. 
your world feels like this. Maybe you're sitting there and you say, Caleb, yeah, this whole idea of living inside of God's love and hope and salvation and redemption, it seems great and it sounds great, but you don't know my life. You don't know with what I'm dealing with and you don't know the types of things that I have to interact with and that I have to face day after day after day. But let me tell you what, I've lived there. I come from a broken home. I come from a family that has experienced bankruptcy. As I shared before, I come from a family to where we've had not only one suicide, but three suicides. See, and when we take those things, and when we offer them back to Jesus, and we start letting go, and we start seeking him, and we start honoring him, and we start laying them before his feet, he gives us a little bit of light. And it starts to guide our way, and it starts to live us up and and pick us up and give us joy. And the amazing thing about that is that we then start to shine out to our world and shine out to our community the way that Paul and Barnabas and Jesus would have wanted us to shine. And people see us and they see the joy inside of us. And so often then we don't even have to share a single word about Jesus for them to see it. And they will come up to us and they say, how is it that you live the way that you do? with all of the stuff that is in your life. And you get to say some simple words like, because I have found the great light of the world. And so I want to ask you one last time, what is it that you're reflecting? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just come here And we ask that you would fill us up. That you would give us light to live inside of you. And that you would live in us. And so maybe you're here today and you feel like your entire life you have been living in the dark. And at this point, you want to stop living that way and you want to experience God's love. And so if that's you, I would just invite you to cry out to God where you are and to pray to him and to ask him into your life. And if that's you, you can do that now and you you can just pray right where you are. A prayer that goes like this. Lord God, I need you. God, I am tired of living in the dark and I am tired of living in the world of all of my obstacles to where they overtake everything. And so, God, would you forgive me for running from you? Would you forgive me for not putting you first? Would you forgive me for my sin? And, God, would you come inside of me, and would you fill me, and would you start turning on the light of my life? And, God, today, I take the hands off the wheel of my life, and I give it to you. And I proclaim you as my Lord and my Savior and my boss. And with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, that is the biggest decision that anybody will ever make. And because around here, we want to encourage you in that and we want to love you in that. If that was you, 
Nobody's gonna embarrass you, but would you just stick your hand up and so I can recognize that and encourage you? You can do that now. Make eye contact with me. Yeah, I see you right back there. God's making you new and he's cleaning you up. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Yeah, I see you right here, sir. God's coming on inside of you and he's cleaning you up. Yeah, I see you right back there, both of you. Yeah, right there. There you are. And right here. God is making you new. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Yeah, right back there. I see you. Lord Jesus, we are humbled by who you are. And God, would you challenge us as we leave this place to live and to shine brightly for who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.